You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, this morning we are launching into a new series called One. And and what makes this sermon series so unique is that we're not just going to talk about being one as the body of Christ. We're actually going to live it out. We're going to practice the very truth that we're talking about over the next three weeks. So let me tell you how this is going to happen. The next uh, Today, the next two Sundays, we're actually going to have three different pastors here on the platform presenting three different messages, all, the, all directed or connected to this one concept of uh, a common mission of making God's name great throughout our community. So next Sunday, you're going to have Pastor Mike Moses from Lake uh, Forest Huntersville here talking about the mission of the church. The Sunday after that, you're going to have Pastor Bobby Conway, another good friend of mine from Life Fellowship. You're going to be bringing the word again, talking about the mission, the mission of the united body of Christ. What's God called us to here in our community? Not only are we sharing the pulpit as we, as we talk about unity, but we're further like living this out and that we're gathering school supplies. Through this series, we're gathering school supplies and we're going to bless elementary schools throughout our community with uh, needed school supplies because not every child that, that shows up at school has the basics of what they need for the school year. So it's a great opportunity for us as the church to step in and like uh, help them in that point of need. So if you haven't been to our website, you can check out the different school supplies that we're gathering and you can um, bring those uh, over the next couple Sundays. Wouldn't it be great if we could hit like every elementary school in the Lake Norman community supplying them with uh, an abundance of school supplies. I think that would be awesome. So I would encourage you to join us in that. Not only that, mark your calendars, August the 20th, 6 o'clock in the evening, all three churches, again, Lake Forest, Life Fellowship, Grace Covenant, we're going to meet here 6 o'clock in the evening for a night of worship. Not only are we going to worship our God together, but we're going to celebrate communion as one church. I'm so excited about this series. Listen, this is something I have actually been praying about for 22 years. 22 years, this has been my prayer, is that the body of Christ would come together. Because I am convinced one of the things that has hindered the church, the body of Christ, from being effective in our world to our mission is we've been so divided that we can't work together. We've built all of these walls that separate us, that have kept us from from effective. So, man, I'm so excited about this because not only is it for me an answer to prayer, but I think it's opening the way for God to do some great things here in our community. Because this unity, this concept of unity, us coming together is a big deal with God. Matter of fact, Psalm 133, verse 1, God says this, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. For in that place, in that unity, there I bring my blessing, even life forevermore. So where does the blessing of God come? It comes in a place of unity. Not only that, interesting, just before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed this prayer, John 17, Jesus prayed this prayer, Father, may they be one, even as you and I are one, that the world might know, that the world might see, that there might be a living witness of the reality of of a redeeming Savior being Jesus Christ through what? Through our oneness, through our unity. Hey, I believe that if we come together, it opens the way for the church to be effective in the very mission, this one common mission that God has given us. This is going to be an awesome three weeks. I'm so excited. Next week, I get to be at Life Fellowship. I'm going to be preaching there while Pastor Bobby's at uh, Lake Forest. Mike Moses is going to be here. It's crazy, like trying to get it all scheduled, but it's going to be fun. Amen? 
You know, as we think about unity uh, and as we think about the body coming together, I think that our physical bodies are a great illustration of what God intends for the body of Christ. I mean, think about your, your physical body. I don't know if you thought about this lately, but like your body is, a, is an amazing wonder of God's creation. Some of you are thinking, well, my body's not so great. Listen, it is. It is in the wonder of how God created because think about your physical body. There's a lot of different parts that are functioning together and there's only one of you, right? A lot of parts working together that you might be one, that you might be complete. I mean, let's just think for a minute about the different organs in our body. We, we have a heart, and the purpose of the heart is to pump blood throughout the body. Have I mean, you know that the organ of the heart's pretty important? Would you agree with that? Heart doesn't work, body doesn't work, right? It's pretty important, pumping blood throughout your body. But how many of you know the heart cannot function alone? It needs something called the lungs. The purpose of the lungs is what? It's to bring oxygen to the blood. Now, I'm, just, I'm way out of what I know. I'm talking way above my head right now. I understand theology well, not so much medicine. But I do know that the, that the heart is dependent on the lungs because the lungs needs to bring oxygen to the blood. Not only that, we have, we have a couple of other organs called kidneys. And the purpose of the kidneys is to like filter the toxins out of the blood. So what we need the heart doing what the heart's supposed to do. We need the lungs doing what the lungs are supposed to do. We need the kidneys functioning. What, and as all of these different parts are functioning together, then our body is what? It's healthy, right? Different parts, yet one. It's kind of the same as, as our hand. Hold your hand in front of you. Look at your hand. Is that not absolutely amazing? I mean, like five fingers, kind of all connected together. My muscle, bone, cartilage, tissue connected to the hand. And with this hand, it's amazing. It's amazing the things you can do with the hand. But have you know the hand only works if it's connected to the body? If you sever the hand from the body, guess what? Hand doesn't work so well. But again, it's an illustration of all these different parts. Your body is made up of all of these different parts, yet it's, there's one of you. What a living illustration of what the church should look like. A Grace Covenant family, I mean, look how diverse. Just look around the room today. Different cultures, different generations different races, amazing, yet in the diversity, we are one as a church family. And that's true of the larger body of Christ. Throughout our community, there's all different churches and denominations, yet yet we are one. We're one family, one body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 is our theme verse for this series. It's on the screen. It's in your notes. So, so let's read this together. Would you join me this morning? Let's read this verse. these verses. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What is the recurring word in these three verses? Seven times. Well, it's all. We're not even united today, right? (laughs) Seven times in three verses, we find this word one. Do you think God might be trying to communicate something to us? Seven times, three verses. It's the heart of the Father that we, as the body of Christ, would would be one in the midst of all of our diversity. 
in the midst of our different styles of worship and our different theological constructs, that, that, that we would be one as God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son are one in the Trinity. So it's the heart of the Father that, that we would be one. We're, we are called to be the church united in the midst of our great diversity. I mean, if you think about it, there's many denominations, but there's one body of Christ. I mean, we had the Baptist folks, the Methodist folks, the Presbyterian folks, the Catholic folks, the Episcopalian folks, the Pentecostal folks. But in the midst of that, we're all one body, one church. Many denominations, yet we're, we're one church. So there's many expressions of worship, but there's one church family. I mean, if you think about it, some folks like worship a little more rowdy. Some folks like it a little more solemn. Some folks like to lift their hands a bit, move a little. Some folks, you know, they'd rather have it more reverent, which is right. I would say, yeah, both are right. And there's many expressions of worship, yet, yet we're one church family. There's many churches together, but we're, we're one church. I mean, just think, think about our community. I mean, you drive down the road. Some of you passed a lot of churches on your way to Grace Covenant Church. With There's churches of different size, different shape, different culture, all kinds of different churches. But we're one church family. So what's the purpose of this one church, the body of Christ? I think the church united is called to bring honor and glory to God and represent Jesus to our community and to our world. We're not competitors, but we're partners in a mission that really matters. It's important that we understand that we're partners, not competitors. We're not. Listen, we are not in competition with the church down the street. They're not our competitor, they're our partner. Now, if you're in the insurance business and there's farm, there's State Farm and Farm Bureau, how many know they're in competition, right? Or if you have a gas station and one's a Shell and one's an Exxon, they're in competition for that of customers. It's not true for us in the church. We're not in competition with the Baptist folks, the Presbyterian folks. No, what we have the privilege of partnering with them. And it's really important that we understand that. Huge difference between competitors and partners. For competitors, it's about this. I win. Partnership says what? We win. Competitors say, I'm going to look out for me because I'm number one. Partnership says, no, I'm looking out for the whole because we all need to win together. We all got to get across the finish line together, right? And that's the concept of partnership. And we're not competing with anyone else. No, we're we're in partnership in a mission that really matters because it's about people's eternity. So as a church, we're called, we're, com- we're, we're commissioned to partner in one mission. So in this series, we're going to talk about this mission, this common mission that we have. We're going to talk about the head being the why of the mission. Pastor Bobby's going to talk about that on, on August the 20th. Next Sunday, Pastor Mike's going to be here, and he's going to talk about the heart being the motive. What's the motive of the mission? And, and today we're talking about the hands being the, the action, the action of the mission. As we think about the action, and that's my assignment, the action of the mission, I think Jesus summarizes the action of the mission with a command and with an illustration, a command and a a word picture. So I want us to talk about that just for a moment this morning. So what's the command? The command connected to the mission, the action of the church, is found in John 13, verse 34 and 35. Listen to what Jesus said. A new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, the world will know 
Why? Because we're living out love. So Jesus calls us here not just to live out love, but he actually tells us how we should love. Look back to the verse. How should we love? We should love as he loved us. Think about that. Here's a great question. How did Jesus love you? He gave his life that we might have life. He put my interest above his own interest. It was his pain for my gain. That's how Jesus loved me. That's how Jesus loved you. And now he's saying, well, then we should live out that love. We should live out that love in the same way. I'm convinced the greatest witness, the greatest witness of the church is how we love. Listen, I believe, and I'm so committed to this, if we can get this love thing right, we can change the world. That's what Jesus was saying. How we love, how we love becomes a a witness to a watching world. We have to take the very faith we profess and and put it into action. So what it's love that motivates us. It's love that moves us. See if we love we'll go serve the poor. It'll happen. If we love we'll get out of our comfort zone. To go and reach out to someone in need. If we love we'll reach out to the hurting. The broken. The needy. It's love. It's love that moves us. Love is the, is the motivator. It's love that makes the difference. And Jesus illustrates this truth with a story, a story that I believe is what the church should look like. If you want to know what the church should look like, it's here in Luke chapter 10. In this parable that Jesus told. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Luke chapter 10. Let me just set the story for you. There's an expert in the law who comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus a question. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus actually answers his question with a question. He says, what does the law say? And the expert in the law says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, well, you've answered well. Do that and you'll you'll live. You'll have eternal life. And the, the scripture says that the expert in the law, being a bit arrogant, wanted to justify himself, So he asked this question, and who is my neighbor? I need to love my neighbor, so who's my neighbor? In response to that, Jesus tells this amazing story, this amazing parable, that again, I believe should be a picture of the church in action. So let's pick up Luke chapter 10, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down... From Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense for, for any extra expense you may have. Notice verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, 
the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So so in this story, we have a man, most likely a, a Jewish man, who's on his way from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as he's traveling, uh, some robbers attack him, uh, take his possessions, beat him and leave him half dead. And then there's this priest who comes along, or maybe let's bring it into our context today. There's a pastor that comes along and sees this man who's been beat, who's left half dead. And and interesting, the Greek word here, the Greek word for saw is idon, which means to see with understanding. This pastor sees with understanding the point of crisis, yet chooses to go on the other side of the road. Then we have a Levite who comes along, or we might say an elder, a church elder, a church deacon, or like um, a good church-going man comes along and he sees this crisis situation, passes by on the other side. And it's interesting that in the story that Jesus told, he would say, and then there was a Samaritan that came along. Now to understand the significance of this, you have to know that Jews hated Samaritans. Like there was this, there was this deep divide. Man, Jewish people thought like Samaritans were lower than trash. If there's something lower than trash, that was a Samaritan. There was a deep hatred. Yet it was the Samaritan who came along, who saw the Jewish man in need, and went to him, bandaged his wounds, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, paid the fare, paid the cost. At the end of the story, Jesus asked. This expert of the law, who was the neighbor? In this situation, who was the neighbor? And I think it pained the expert in the law a bit to say it was the Samaritan. He said it was the one who who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and and do likewise. Go and, and put love into action. I think within the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus gives us a living example of what we should look like as we're one church on mission. We should be daily living out the love of Jesus in practical ways so that hurting, needy, and lost people in our community can experience the reality of Jesus Christ through our compassion. A living example of of what we the church should look like. So from the story that Jesus told, let me very quickly tell you what we as the church, the united body of Christ, is called to do. And this comes right out of the story First, the church is called to go to places where people are far from God. Go to places where people are far from God. You know, Jesus never intended for us, the church, to stay in the comfort of the sanctuary. Jesus never intended for us to come here and come here and come here to be encouraged and taught, encouraged and taught until we became until we become spiritually fat. It was not his plan. Jesus' plan was never that we would create a bless me club. Now, I'm all for Bible study. I'm all for encouraging when we should encourage one another. But that was not Jesus' greatest plan for the church is come and get comfortable and stay. Jesus' plan for the church was go. Go. Go to where people are, are far from him. Go to, go to the places where people are hurting. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go into the world. For us today, let's bring that into like practical application. For us today, Jesus would say, hey, go into Cornelius, go into Huntersville, go into Davidson, go into Morrisville, go into Charlotte. 
go to go to the places where people are far from God. If you if you look back to this story, verse thirty three says this is of the Samaritan. He came to the place where the man was. I think that's interesting. He came to the place the man was. In other words, it was the Samaritan that took action. It was the Samaritan that made the first move. It was the Samaritan that went to the place where the hurting man was, and it was there that he lived out mercy. So I think first, as a church united, as we're living on our mission, we have to go. We have to go to the places where people are far from God. So where are those places? Through in your neighborhood. Those places are like where you go to work, where do you go to school. It's there that there's hurting, needy, helpless, broken, lost people who need to experience Christ through you. So we need to, we need to go to the places where people who are far from God. Listen, that's the whole reason that we constructed the neighborhood care center. We really felt the Holy Spirit saying to us, "Man, we got to be Jesus in the community." We can't stay in the safety of the sanctuary and say, hey, come here and we'll help you. No, Jesus said, go there. Go like to, go to where the people are. we got to make the first move. So if we're going to be the church in action, we've we got we to be willing to move out of the comfort of where we're at, the comfort of our sanctuary, into the reality of, of a real world where people are hurting and they need help. First step. First move. It's ours to make. I think the church is also called to, to look for people who are in places of need. If you look back to verse 33, the scripture says, when he saw him, the Samaritan, when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, what's obvious in the story is that the priest and the Levite also saw the man in need. But they passed by on the other side. It's a little play on words, but I think they saw, but they were not looking. They saw the situation, the crisis, but they were not looking to respond. There's seeing and then there's there's looking. There's seeing and then there's responding. We have to have eyes to see the need. And one of the challenges with the body of Christ, the church today, is we have become blind to the needs of people around us. We have eyes, but we don't see. We're a little bit like the priest and the Levite. And that we see, but we're not looking. And it's easier just to go on the other side of the road. This is what I know. We have to open our eyes to see the needs of those who are around us. Listen, you'll never meet the need if you don't first see the need. It's the seeing that comes first. I think of my friend Daniel Daughtery, who started a ministry called Beds for Kids, which is actually right here in our community. Daniel saw families who were struggling to have the basics of furnishings in their home. I'm talking like beds, couches, a recliner, a kitchen table with chairs, just the basics. Families in crisis, families trying to get their lives back on track, maybe families who had lost everything trying to recover. He saw families in crisis who didn't have the basics of furnishings. And because he saw the need... He moved to action and he started this ministry called Beds for Kids. 
Fast forward several years from the time he started this ministry. Now hundreds if not thousands of pieces of furniture have been delivered to homes, couches, chairs, kitchen tables, the people who are hurting and helpless and broken. Not only do they, not only do they deliver the furniture, it's not like come and get the furniture. No, they serve the families. They go into the homes, they set up the furniture, and then they share the gospel message with every family that receives the furniture. It all happened because one man saw the need. Like the Samaritan, we have to have eyes to see. Eyes to see the need. Eyes to see those who who are hurting, those who are broken, that we can move. I, I think the church is also called to have a bias to action, to be willing to serve. In other words, we need to do something. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, do something. Go ahead and tell them. You need to do something, right? Listen, love without action, love without action is really not love. Listen, you can't say that you're loving like Jesus loved if you're not doing something, if you don't have a bias to action. I'm probably going to offend someone, but here's the reality. If you say you love like Jesus loved and you're doing nothing, then you're lying. You're deceived. Because love acts. Love moves. Love responds. As a church, to live out this mission that, that we've been entrusted with, we have to have a bias to action. We have to, have to be willing to serve. If, if you look back to the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan, notice, notice what he did when he saw the man in need. Verse 34 says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Simply stated, he saw and he moved. He saw and he took action. And it wasn't complicated. It wasn't challenging. I mean, he saw the need and he, and he did something about it. It's through action. It's through action that we reveal the love of Jesus, that we express the compassion of Jesus, and we have the opportunity to share the person of Jesus. You know, here at, in our church family, we have a lot of different community groups. There's, there's one community group called Yarns of Blessing. And it's an interesting group of ladies who come together. They kind of share scripture. They share God's stories. They encourage one another. And while they're doing all of this, they're, they're knitting. They're crocheting. And they take these items that they're crocheting, and then they bless others with them. Listen to this. In the first six months of this year, they've made 45 visits to the Lake Norman Oncology, delivering blessing bags that contain a Bible and items that they've, they've crocheted. They've, they've crocheted 45 layettes that have been donated to the local crisis pregnancy center. They've made 30 preemie hats and seven blankets that's been sent to the neonatal unit at Carolina Medical Center. Amazing. And some of the cards, the letters we're getting back of how individuals' lives have been impacted as they have experienced the love of Jesus through these items that have been knitted and crocheted. But just a group of ladies who said, hey, we're going to do something. This is what we can do. We can knit. We can make some pretty amazing things. Some preemie hats. Some blankets for individuals going through radiation. And through that, people who are hurting, people who are in crisis, what they're experiencing, the love of Jesus, simply because there were some ladies who said, we're going to do something. We're going to, serve. We're going to take the simple gift that we have. We're going to put it to work and we're going to, we're going to make a difference in someone's life. 
I think as the church, we also need to be willing to pay the cost of caring. It's interesting that if you look a little further into this parable that Jesus told, the Samaritan didn't just like bandage the man's wounds and leave him on the side of the road to recover on his own. No, he took the man, put him on his donkey, and he, and he took him to an inn. He took him to a place where he could rest and, and recover. Not only that, listen to how verse 35 reads. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Listen, the Samaritan did more than just respond to a man in need. He was willing to embrace the cost of caring. He dug into his own pocket to be a part of the solution. Listen, this is one of the things I've come to discover. It doesn't cost a lot to give someone a handout, but if you want to give them a hand up that changes their lives, it's going to cost you. There's a cost to to genuinely caring. For the Samaritan, it was he had to dig into his pocket. Here's two silver coins. If it's any more, I'll, I'll cover the cost. But he was willing to embrace the cost of caring. Hear me, there is a cost. When we truly say, I'm going to get out of the comfort of my own world, I'm going to go help someone who's hurting. I'm going to go help someone who's broken. I'm going to go help someone who's in crisis. I'm going to go help someone whose life is off track. I'm going to help someone who's far from God that they can experience the reality of a loving Savior. Listen, when you choose to do that, please understand, there's a cost to caring. It may cost you financially. It may cost you your schedule. It may cost you some time. It may cost you, I don't know in what way, but there is a cost to caring. I think of a family here in our Grace Covenant family who were coming to a wonderful season in their lives called Empty Nest. They had raised three girls, three wonderful girls. Two of them went off to college. The other went to the armed forces. And so they're kind of planning this next season, quiet fun getaways no responsibility kids are gone and as they're kind of thinking about this whole next season guess what the holy spirit wrecked them concerning foster care and adoption this past year they brought four a sibling group of four children into their home their home went from being really quiet to like really crazy and rowdy four children is it Right? Absolutely. Is it God-honoring? Absolutely. Is it like the church on mission? Absolutely. Is it costing them? Absolutely. You bring four kids into your home who have baggage, who have hurts, who have challenges. Not easy. Is it right? Absolutely. It's the church on mission. It's the love of Jesus being lived out that's changing the lives of four children. Their lives will never be the same. Why? Because they've experienced the love of Jesus through a family who said, hey, we want you to come and be a part of their family. But again, is there a cost? Yeah. If we're going to be the church on mission, we we have to be willing to embrace the cost of caring. (laughs) Lastly, I think as a church united, we're called to, to live out mercy. To live out mercy. And it's interesting as Jesus came to the end of the story with the, ex, the with with a religious expert. He asked this man, "Who do you think the neighbor was? Was it the was it the the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan?" And the expert of the law said it was the one who 
showed mercy. Interesting. Jesus said, go and do likewise. What's Jesus saying to us today? I believe he's saying, hey, go and do likewise. Go and live out mercy. So don't don't separate yourself from this story. Listen, we are a part of this story. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then this is what Jesus is saying to you today. Go and do likewise. Go and live out mercy. Right? He's saying to you, go and live out mercy. To Frank, the balcony, he's saying, hey, Frank, go and, go and do likewise. Go and live out mercy. To Miss Jean, he's saying, Jean, go and live out mercy. Go and do, do likewise. So what should the church engaged in mission like moving into action. What does it look like? It means this. We go and live mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is this. I see someone in a point in place of need. And I move toward that need. I see someone at a point of need. Someone hurting. Someone helpless. Someone broken. Someone who's been beat. Half dead left to die. And I move toward the need. I don't pass around it. No. Mercy means this. I go and I live out Jesus Christ. I go and I express that of the love of Christ that has so transformed my life. Now I go and I live that out as I'm reaching out to others. And that's what mercy looks like. And this is what I'm convinced of as we as the church, the united body of Christ, begin to live mercy. This is what it's going to do. It's going to transform this community. From the community into the city. Listen, it will. As we're living out the love of Jesus. This is what I know for us today. We can't stay here in the safety of our sanctuary. We can't stay here and join the comfort of the pew. And we've been called to go, to go do something. I don't know what the something might be for you. I don't know what the, the broader something might be for us as a church. But this is what I know. We've got to go do something. We've got to go live out mercy. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.